Welcome to Media Path. I am Louise Palanker. And I'm Fritz Coleman. Our guest coming up is Billy Gilman, who began his music career as a remarkably gifted preschooler from Rhode Island who was signed to Epic Records, Nashville, in the year 2000 at the age of 11. Unbelievable. Yes, and he has grown and evolved into a brilliant artist who placed second on season 11 of The Voice. Is that correct, Billy? Do we have the season? That's, That's the season. Okay. And he has lived a life that most adults haven't lived, just in what he's had to uh, rise above. And yeah. it's going to be a great conversation. Inspirational. And Billy has recently dropped a hot acapella reimagining of his huge single, One Voice, which will grab your heart and stir your soul. Billy joins us shortly. But first, Fritz, what are you recommending for us this I have week? a couple of streamings. And the first one's Netflix. And, you know, I hope people aren't bored with me trying to call attention to David Attenborough again. But his, uh, <laughs> but his nature documentaries are so incredible. Here's one I absolutely can't avoid mentioning to you if you haven't heard about it. It's currently streaming on Netflix. It's A Life in Color. It is amazing. This one explores nature from a fresh perspective as animals use color to survive and thrive. His photographic team uses the latest technology to replicate what colors various animals can and cannot see. They have lenses that give you the perspective of various animals. Really cool. And how they react to certain colors and certain colors that represent a threat. How animals have the ability to change their colors to blend into a natural environment. How they exhibit bright displays of color to get a mate. How they change their colors to appear to be another species of animal. Really spectacular. David Attenborough you know, he was in his 80s, and he treks through the wildlands, jungles, and forests, and the uh, outback to weave these great narratives. This is a perfect show to watch with the kids or a family member of any age. Great lessons in the miracles of nature, jaw-dropping photography, highly recommended for everybody. And my second pick for people of a certain age, we see. Mm -hmm. Framing John DeLorean. Mm. This is on Prime Video right now. There, there are several reasons, I think, to watch this documentary. This is the story of John DeLorean, who was a brilliant designer and marketer of cars at General Motors during their heyday in the 70s and 80s. It's the story of an American auto industry at the peak of its power. It's the story of a brilliant guy who beat the odds, striking, uh, striking out on his own to design and manufacture a futuristic sports car called the DeLorean. It's ultimately the story of the downfall of this brilliant movie star handsome man who crashed and burned when he tries to sell cocaine to keep his car company solvent. Even though it's a documentary for the most part, there's some really interesting devices used. Alec Baldwin plays the role of John DeLorean in various scenes from his life. And then he also steps out of character and breaks the fourth wall to give his thoughts on the psychology of DeLorean, like what he's thinking at certain parts of his life. It's a really interesting way to do a movie. Other actors play key roles like his wife, Christina Ferrari, who, full disclosure, I did a Perry Mason episode with. We were both suspects in a murder, and I will tell you that n neither of us did it, in case you ever want to watch that episode. Howard Weitzman, his attorney, is played by another actor. Now... This is a commentary uh, also from the real son of DeLorean, Zach DeLorean, and, and this part of it is depressing but interesting, to say the least, from his shame at what his father did as a downfall to the tainting of the family name to currently 
spending his life in a rundown apartment. It's really interesting. This story was headline news for a long time when it was happening in real time. It gives great insight into another uh, aspect of the story, and it teases us, and this is the fun part, with a theory held by some people that the drug bust itself that everybody remembers from the uh, security camera video was all a setup. If you're old enough to remember this story dominating the nightly news, you'll enjoy this movie, Framing John DeLorean. That sounds like the craziest movie I've ever heard described. But I love these genre-bending movies where they have like part documentary and then part reenactment and everything in between. Just yeah, and I think the the reason for that was there has always been uh, a, a desire to make a John DeLorean movie, and nobody's ever figured out how to do it properly, so they would care enough. So this blended the documentary aspect of it, which is great because it's got all the footage, and then uh, and then the the Alec Baldwin aspect. Obviously, he's a big draw. It's it's really cool. Yes, that sounds amazing. All right, so if you are like me and you are obsessed with country music, or even if you are mildly curious about the origins and the history of this uniquely American art form, then dive into Ken Burns' eight-part documentary series on country music. Ken Burns tells stories as rich and colorful as those in the lyrics of the songs that create the threads and patterns of country music. But in the country quilt, there have historically been some missing patches. Country artists have been expected to look and think and feel a certain type of way. The community can be as warm and friendly as it can be restrictive and exclusionary. Take, for example, the Dixie Chicks. In 2003, after the start of the Iraq War, the Chicks' Natalie Maines said on stage in London that she felt ashamed to be from Texas. This one comment shut down their careers. The ensuing events were documented in a film called Shut Up and Sing which follows the Dixie Chicks over a three-year period of intense public scrutiny, fan backlash, physical threats, and record burnings, and pressure from both corporate and conservative political elements in the U.S. Can we talk about cancel culture? Because they kind of invented it. In 2010, Shelley Wright realized that she could no longer live as a closeted country artist, so she released a memoir, Like Me, Confessions of a Heartland Country Singer, and the album lifted off the ground. Both projects were centered around her coming out process and her acceptance of herself. During this period, she moved to New York City and released a documentary chronicling her coming out journey called Wish Me Away. She would later establish a charity like me, which helped provide assistance to LGBTQ youth. She has since been a spokesperson for programs such as GLSEN, I'm not sure if there's a a quicker way to say that, and other activism related programs. Shelley also got married and she has two children. In her music stylings, she has transitioned to the Americana and folk genres. So those are some interesting documentaries to to take a look at if you're interested in the history of, of country music. And I'm going to begin introducing our guest, Billy, which we're... I'm really looking forward yes, to. Yes. We talked to him before the show in the green room. Lovely guy. <laughs> the, the green room is in the cloud. <laughs> we're in the studio. Billy's somewhere on Zoom, but he's with us, trust me. As a child, Billy Gilman was drawn to country music. At age 11, he became the youngest artist to ever score a top 40 hit on the country charts with his smash, One Voice. Growing up, he was the darling of the national community, and after maturing into his adult voice, he has become an exceptional artist who is using the power of his voice for good. Billy is an advocate for muscular dystrophy and Souls for Souls. In 2016, after fully growing into his true self, Billy auditioned for The Voice. He was a four-chair turn, and he finished the season as the runner-up, scoring over 31 million views on YouTube for his performances. Welcome, Billy. 
Hi, Billy. Hey. Where are you right now? Hear me. Yeah. I am home in my home state of Rhode Island. I was supposed to, I lived in Nashville for many years, was supposed to remove. And then the pandemic happened. So I said, I'm not going to move now. I'm going to stay close to my family. And it's, it's been, it's been fun. Yeah. No, it's been great. (laughs) Get me out of here. No, it's like everyone's kind of like, uh, finding their pandemic blessings and learning something or relearning something. And what, what has it been like for you? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on my own, you know, on my own, my own place. So it's not like confined, which is great. So you can see them when you choose kind of like grandchildren. (laughs) Um, uh, But you know, the, the beauty of it is there's no beauty in loss of life. Um, You know, it's been horrific for the world and what's uh, what I'm seeing going on in India. It just, I'm such an advocate for people that I can't watch it. I, I, you know, which is so not the right thing to say. Mm, I understand. But I just, it's so guts wrenching to see these poor people just acting as their brother's doctor, pounding on their chest because they can't get any. It's just mind blowing. Um, But the beauty for me personally was, of course, time with, with family, literally stopping, but I didn't stop. Like I saw so many interviews on like Kelly and Michael and things and they were interviewing some big artist and they took up knitting. <laughs> now that's great, but I said no, if I can't do if I can't do singing in, in front of someone, I can find a way to do singing in other ways. And so I, you know, switched everything to virtual. I mean, I've done over 70 charity events um via, you know, singing uh, or talking, hosting uh, and then I do a nightly quarantines, not quarantine, but quarantines, uh, Friday nights on my uh, Facebook. And because of that, I only had like 60, 70,000 followers on Facebook. And now 13, 14 months later, we're honing in on 300,000. Wow. So it just, you know, it's, 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 it's been an interesting journey. I took up a software editing thing to make music videos. I mean, you, just, you, you do what you got to do. But, but you, even from a very young age have been aware of your social responsibilities. When you were 15 years old, you recorded music through Heart Songs, which was a really interesting album of work by a child poet, Maddie Stefanik, who died of muscular dystrophy at 14. And so you you were aware enough to see the value in that at 15. Talk about that album, but what a great story. Just talk about that coming to your awareness and how you made the album. Yeah, so... Um, it's just funny how the muscular dystrophy, I was supposed to be in that family. I just, it just was, I did the telethon, uh, four years before that. And I just saw, and I, I, I've been with Marlo Thomas. I've done the Jimmy fun in Boston, Massachusetts. I've, I've done all these things. And when I got involved with the NBA, just as a simple performer, show up, sing goodbye. I felt so connected and it became something where I said, I, in the back of my head, I really hope that I can be involved with this organization more. And fast forward four years after that, I was on Larry King. And if you're really famous, uh, RIP Larry, but uh, if you're really famous, you get the whole hour. Well, I got the half hour. (laughs) Um, And so we talked about what I've done so far, what I plan to do yet, you know, the whole thing. And I sang, and then I was wondering who they would have as a second guest. And it was Maddie. And he had already been on the New York times bestseller list at 12 years old, 
So that instantly, I was in the kitchen because my parent, I was living at home with my parent. I was only, you know, whatever I was, 14. Mm-hmm. And um, I, they always made a point to watch these interviews, meaning I, I, it's so embarrassing to sit and watch yourself with, now at this point, 14 with acne and your voice <laughs> is kind of sounding like E.T. on crack. <laughs> it's very, very interesting, very interesting. So I'm like, kind of like one eye the interview. <laughs> so I didn't know who they had on. So Maddie starts to speak. And when they said New York Times bestseller at 12, I went, well, that's like me on the charts at 12. What? Well, wait. So I walk in the living room and here he is in his wheelchair and his octus, you know, you know, his breathing tree, his breathing tubes and all of that. And you would never have known that he was a patient with uh, mitochondrial myopathy, which is one of 120,000 people in the world that have this type of MD uh, and muscular dystrophy umbrellas, 40 diseases. Um, but he's this miraculous godsend and he started to read his poems. This is what he went on the New York times bestseller list for. He was a poet and he was talking about how it's gone from battlefields to backyards. We need to stop before the world. We're all a mosaic of gifts. I was thinking, this is music. This is not, you know, and I go for thy, uh, you know, art thou Romeo. This is like, you know, this this is real musical. It needs it needs to have another avenue rather than just on paper. Mm-hmm. So we were actually uh, gathering songs, just normal singles, you know, like a normal record for the fourth installment of of my obligation with Epic. And I said, no, we got to throw all that to the wind. I have an idea, and I really think it'll touch a lot of lives. You know, I I think <laughs> it's early in my career, but I want to do uh, you know. A, a kind of record that's not a commercial record. I, I want to do a, a, a story record. And they, they fought me. No, this is going to be, this is going to be horrific. You're not going to sell 20,000 copies. You're, this is, and I said, I need to do this for this child. You know, you know, who knows how long he has left, hopefully years and years and years. But these poems need to be heard rather than just read. And they finally gave me the green light. Um, and I went to his mother and you know, my team went to his mother, who was his manager s, you know, mama dog overwatching his his rights and his copywriting and all of that with the with the publishing. And we brought forth some ideas. I got together some of the best writers in Nashville to create the melodies because the lyrics were still there. You know, they're there, they're already there. right. And um, yeah, I was so happy it went to the top ten of the charts and for, you know, it did so well for him. And, and apparently they had a lot of bigger artists than myself come forward and want to do a record of these poems. But I guess they said to me, the heart wasn't there. Mm-hmm. We felt that you needed to do this, not to be seen, but on behalf of the, uh, on behalf of the, the content. Also, and the fact that you were re- similar ages yeah. probably yeah. put you yeah, in, that in, in his mindset a little what bit. Did, what did you learn from Maddie? He, you know, he was only here almost 15 years, but so there's not a lot of people that have even been able to spend time with him. What, what have you learned from him? I learned not, so I, I learned, first of all, in a very, in, a, in an obvious way, I learned not to sweat the small stuff, number one. But number two, we were sitting, it was me, President Carter. Wow. Um, <laughs> Name dropper. Larry, because he was the one that kind of got this whole thing started. Bruce Roberts, who's a producer for Barbara Streisand and all these people. Uh, and Ed McMahon, most random table. Uh, it's like the Last Supper celebrity <laughs> style, right? And, <laughs> and it's on behalf of Maddie. This is his heart song gala. 
And he's sitting there and I have to get up and speak before I'm singing. I only have to speak maybe 20 seconds and I am a wreck. Mm. Like I, I, I have my whole script plus breathe. Like I have <laughs> literally and breathe, pause, right? I'm so thorough like that. And this kid gets up and does a whole 10 minute speech off the top of his head. Wow. And I'm just sitting there so embarrassed. And he comes back down, he sits back down beside me. And I said, Maddie, I just got to be honest. You see what I'm doing here, lamenting over the script. <laughs> How do you do that? And he says, if it comes from the heart, you never have to think about it. Aww. And that, Where did that wisdom come told, from at 14? That, that was, a, that was such a, a, a teaching lesson for me in 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, many, many layers of lessons I learned from him, but never dial it in was a major, major, major lesson. I love that. Can you talk a little bit about your journey in the context of Nashville's journey towards diversity and inclusion? Because you kind of grew up with Nashville, at least in terms of that. And they, they mm. seem to be doing better or working at it. But what are what are your thoughts regarding how it impacted your childhood? Well, I wasn't the normal like when I when I'm with other younger artists that either are growing up or have grown up. Aaron Carter's all those kids hillary duff you know well she's different she's she's fine um i was pushing my parents you're we're gonna do this come on let's go rather than having a stage mom mm -hmm. at at three years old i heard pam tillis there was a a, a sea world well first of all they have me at 18 months old singing the jeopardy theme in my high chair <laughs> um it's just it chose me it, it there's no other way to it's all about song choice around Billy. that that's it. Hey, listen, <laughs> it's all about. <laughs> um, and then all of the, and then at three years old, um, there was a SeaWorld celebration, you know, because we had a little TV with rabbit ears and you dialed it in, you know, we didn't have many options and it was on ABC or whatever local channel and celebrating the dolphins and the whales and me being a child, my mother thought, Oh, this would be great for him to watch. He'll love that. Well, Pam Tillis, a country icon was on singing one of her songs and that was it. Um, the following year I was packing a suitcase. God knows where I got it saying I'm moving to Nashville to see Pam Tillis. I mean, it's, <laughs> did you write back story. to your folks? I did. I, they, they wished me well. <laughs> they packed my diapers. <laughs> you know, to, speaking um, about that and the point that Wheezy made, I want to ask you a question while we're talking about that. You made an interesting comment somewhere about your talent maturing. So you're that age and you're growing into an, an adult singer you said, I finally discovered what it is I wanted to sing, which I thought was mm. really interesting. You, you had you had things when you were very young that made you happy or types of music. And then you had to find out where your talent was and what you really enjoyed singing. Talk about that transition at that age. It's still a transition to be completely transparent. Um, I, I love. All right. So. At, at that very early age, say I'm a say it's a quote unquote normal childhood, meaning I go to school and then I have summer break and then you get ready to go back to school in all, late August, September, and your parents get you ready, meaning they pick out what they think is cute for jeans mm -hmm. or a sweatshirt <laughs> or a backpack or a shoe type, and you're like, oh great, thanks, bye. <laughs> well, that was my well, that was my musical taste. Um, I listened to what was in front of me, right. which was country music. So naturally, that's what they like. That's what I like. 
so I just had a, a natural sense of I love this genre every Friday night on TNN when TNN was still around. Mm-hmm. I'd watch the uh, Grand Old Opry with my grandmother and I'd, you know, see, you know, Jeannie Seeley and, mm-hmm. you know, Whispering Bill Anderson and then Pam Tillis would come on and all, you know, that's all I knew. So naturally that's where I was going to go. Then as I got older, 13, 14, 15 I'm being thrown into singing with Michael Jackson in Madison Square Garden, and I'm seeing Liza Minnelli sing, and I'm seeing In Sync sing, and I'm going, "Whoa, why is this really? Why? Why do I want to do that? Why am I not not happy? I'm always happy with music and singing, but why do I want to be like that?" So you shift a little bit, mm-hmm. and so my favorite artist to this day is is Barbara Streisand. Number one, her voice is just un uh, not of this earth. I will mm-hmm. tell you. So in my opinion, mm-hmm. and I always would go do my one voices in my country stuff. And then I'd get on the tour bus or the hotel and I'd sing people, people who need people. Right. I just loved that kind of music, maybe because I was told not to do it. Mm. So that's in my head, brewing it an adolescence mentality and all of that. That was your so, rebellion, Barbara Streisand. Or pop <laughs> you, music, you were a rough pop kid, music, you know, you were, that kind, that kind of thing. You were a rough kid and, to raise. Uh, Oh yeah, totally. So did your parent did your <laughs> parents funny. give you pushback when you wanted to do other genres of music? No, it was all industry worry. Oh. It mm-hmm. was all like I if I wanted to add strings to a song because I thought they were beautiful or a horn or a harp, you know, kind of there's a, a a lane that you don't cross if you will. You keep with the guitars and the steel and the fiddle and that, you know, whatever. Um uh, but all in my mind I'm going they think they can pull out the wool over me. In 1963, Eddie Arnold recorded a record with the Nashville Sound, which was a 13-piece orchestra. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I know my knowledge. We can do this. It's just right, you're not allowing your artists to do this. Anyway, that's and you all were always thing. thinking like an arranger. Yeah, right? So mm-hmm. that was always pent up in me. you know. So I would always do my – after the hits were there and I was touring – I would always kind of go this way. So mm-hmm. in my show, I would do my country and then I would do ABC and Rock and Robin or I would do Roy Orbison's Crying. It's mm-hmm. pretty country, but I made it very dramatic and a very big ballad. Mm-hmm. So so I was always kind of crossing that wave. And um, when my voice changed, that was took forever. And that gave me a, a minute to sit and think. And at that point, I wanted to go do that Celine Dion stuff. If God willing, my voice was supposed to come back because before it was huge. It was big and it was belty and I could do that. And that's kind of what set me apart. And then it was gone. Of course, for a while, I cried myself to sleep many nights because I thought it would never come back. Cause when I would tell, when I tell you guys, I would go to sing and I'd go, Hey, I'll do. And I would go. And it just, the vocal cords would not work so i thought i damaged it i had to go under voice rest for six weeks at a time it was a mess well i have a question about that because most most boys are not professional singers so it's not that urgent right but uh i watched a movie a disney movie about the vienna boys choir and like you know as soon as your voice breaks you're 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 benched but how much Mm. concern is there that it's not coming back or did the doctor say, Oh, it will come back. You, you sang at 10, you are a singer, you will sing. You just have to give it time. Was there any worry that, or is there any worry with boy singers that if you sing through the change, you might break something for life. So 
that's exactly what happened to me. Stephen Brown was my doctor. I don't know if he's still there. I haven't been, I go to other doctors now, but Stephen Brown was the doctor that brought us through these steps of the voice change. He was part of Vanderbilt's uh, Nashville, Tennessee voice clinic. And we went to him in the, something felt off. I was on the road. I thought I was tired. Do seven shows a week. Um, we went and he's like, well, I think you might be starting the voice change. I can already just tell by the way you're speaking. I'm like, oh God, not me, Billy thinking, poor me. I'm thinking, well, there's seven band members, three trucks, two buses, all these poor people are going out of work because mother nature decides to, you know, show up. And I just had, I had a breakdown. So I, in my head, I turned it off. No, if I keep singing, it will never leave. <laughs> so I just kept, I just kept going and almost did it in. We went back to him, Dr. Brown, and he said, obviously you have not listened. And if you want a, car- a career outside of your youth, you've got to stop. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I stopped. And um, yeah, it took a long time. And then it took a long time. So there was a day that all of a sudden, after all of this wonder, because you still don't know what it's going to, it could be an awful sounding singing voice. You don't know what it's going to settle into. <clears throat> I could have gone from that beautiful little angelic voice to, you know, you know, but I mean, who knows what could have happened, right? So, and that's fine too. But it, it could have been a totally different. Picture. It returned to a beautiful high tenor voice. Your your voice is spectacular, even Thank in, you. in the later stuff. Yeah, no, you yeah. have you have one of the great voices in in the world. And well, uh, I don't know about that, but thank no, you. I, but anyway, but it it took me a year and a half to retrain it. It's not like I just started up again. You know, it was it took a long, it took many years of this to come back to where it was safe to really belt hit it like I used it. Right. Right. Let me ask you something. When you were 11, which was the first version of one voice, when it was a hit the first time, is that right? 11 years old. Yeah. 12 was the, yes. 11 was the single 12 was the rest. So did you do the road to back that song and do all the things that adults do and go in 25 cities in 30 days and do that whole routine? I don't think we did 25, but in the initial, well, no, that's not true. So the initial part was um, we recorded the song, we recorded the record, the record was done. They picked one voice as the record. They did the video. We hit certain spots, Cincinnati. I remember going to Kansas City, Nashville, of course, Memphis, KZLA in Los Angeles, um, Florida and Miami was one of the, so we hit key spots, but then I was on the road with Reva for six weeks. Cool. We did, we did a number of spots. She gave me the opening act. It was myself and Brad Paisley and we just switched (laughs) off. And then I went on a spotty tour with Martina McBride. I did before, before any of this ever happened, before one voice was even recorded, I did the whole George Strait stadium tour with Ray Benson and sleep at the wheel. Wow. Um, so from George Strait to Reba to Martina to Trisha, and then I did my own 90 city tour. Um, so yeah, we worked. And then it, it, off that, you're doing Regis and, well, it was, what's her name? Kelly. Uh, you know, you're doing all these Oprahs and you say, so when you're resting, you're not really resting. Right, you're in rehearsal right. for a new record or a photo shoot or saying hi to Oprah or whatever. Um so yeah, we did the we did the whole thing. I remember waking up at four o'clock in the morning and then worrying, okay, I got an eight o'clock show, but I hate napping because when you nap, your voice gets tired. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's it was it's a whole thing. So you you said yeah. your career was your choice, but do you feel like 
there were several large pieces of your childhood missing, having to live a life like that at 12 years old? Nope. <laughs> I'm one of the rare ones who love every bit of it. I mean, you I were just... learning from the greats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just, there was never a moment of, I don't want to do this. I mean, I'd, I'd sit down and do 65 radio interviews right in a row. I, I loved it. I wow. loved every, the people would, the record execs go, we have 40 year old superstars that call us names because they hate <laughs> to do this. Yeah. I've, I've, I've always loved it. Every facet I've loved because I realize that it's a rare thing. And the more I'm getting older and the struggles with it, because, you know, careers go like this. Sometimes they stay down for a while. They go, the more gratification comes from it, in my opinion. Yeah. So let's talk, let's go back to the, uh, Nashville's journey as towards more inclusion. How do you, how do you mm-hmm. feel? I know you're kind of turning away from country music in terms of your stylings, but how do you feel they're doing? Cause I can, I can feel them. I can feel them attempting to, to grow. Well, it's funny you say that. So when I was on the voice, I, I knew that first of all, I wanted to try my hand at adult contemporary pop music, just as in my head, say I did it. It's like, you might be a comedy actor and that's what you do, but you have it in your head. You want to do this dramatic role because you want to prove it, that you can dig deep, which comedy is harder than drama, mind you. Yeah. Um, um, I, in my head, when this opportunity fell in my lap, they had been calling for three years and oh. I kept saying, I don't, I started out with a, without a reality show. I'm going to, I'm going to start again without a reality <laughs> show. I don't want it. And you know, the, the fourth time they called, I went silent on the phone. I said, you know what? This is a huge opportunity. In today's day and age, people do not get artist development deals anymore. That does not happen. Uh, how are people going to see me grow week after week, know that I'm alive, know that I'm okay in that 11 million a night spot? It's not, that's a very rare honor. Yeah. Um, but I was also nervous. What if I saw many artists on that show where they didn't turn, they just wanted to quit, you know, rating for the, for the opening weekend. Mm-hmm. And I, I was very perplexed, but I said, you know what? I know my worth and what I can do. That's gotta be heard from one of these judges. I, I think it could be okay. So I did the, I did the show, but I said, I, I'm not going to go back saying I'm a, I'm a country artist. I was a, and then sing a country song. I think it would have been instantly comparable. Eh. I, I needed to go full throttle and do these big Adele songs and just totally have people forget a little bit about that, you know, the beginning. And it worked. So after The Voice, um, I did not go to record labels and hunt for one. I went on the road to thank the people that voted. And I'm glad I did because that, oh, cool. you know, those audiences stick with you. Touring mm-hmm. life is very important in today's day and age mm-hmm. uh, for, for your livelihood, for fans, for just all around. And the one thing I was realizing after being singing those great big pop songs, which people loved, it was the country music that was totally who I am mm. coming back at it. And so that is what started this whole coming back to country, which opened the door for this one voice with the country band Home Free. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just what's in my bones, the stories the family aspect, the, you know, there is a rock and roll, you know, beer on a Thursday night kind of theme too on one lane, but on the other lane, you have the Rascal Flats and you have so many great, beautiful hits that are still being produced, you know, that are, that is kind of, you know, what country was, is, and, you know, will always be. And that's why I felt 
I just got to, I know I can make it in this genre again, even being in the inclusivity part of it, you know, being a certain type of person that might not be the norm for them. I do not, I advocate, but I advocate in a way that creates normality, Mm -hmm. meaning I will do a show that that does benefit my life too in many ways like there's a beautiful beautiful uh show called the love and acceptance show uh they have a great thing called fanfare cma music fest week mm-hmm. and that's where all artists come together there's 300,000 people in nashville and they sing and you know everybody sings it's a lineup and then after that and that's the big show from thursday to sunday every night you look forward to that big show but in the meantime during the day offshoots there are little different concerts going on, fan club meetups, blah, 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 blah. And there's a show called Love and Acceptance. Ty Herndon started it, who came out the same year I did. Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful thing. And, and so many more artists are jumping on the bandwagon, which is fantastic. But like I always say, I say, you know, I am an artist who happens to be gay, not a gay artist. Mm-hmm. And... I look forward to the day where we don't have to have a love and acceptance show. Like I say, I look for the day where we don't have to have a telethon to make money for kids in wheelchairs, that there's, there'll be a cure. There'll be equality. We, if the road's long, then we'll keep fighting, but I do it in a way where it's not so in your face. Maybe that would help the situation. I'm, I'm living my life. I will advocate for it, but the music, is the music and there should be a separation. And that's how I've started to really live my life and not go, I've been hurt. I've, I, we need to do live your life, push through, stand your ground on what you believe in and what you need and deserve, but let the music speak and right. whoever listens, listens, meaning a record exec, a agent at this or that. I think they're getting much better. And uh, how I formulated my career path with my LGBT <laughs> hat on I've just pushed forth like Billy Gilman coming as a child star out of it would, you know, Mm -hmm. and releasing the songs and showing the record execs that want to listen to my material. If they believe in it, they, they will. And there's been a few interesting turns and for the better. Yeah. Which tells me that they're there. They are changing because maybe, maybe five years ago, that wouldn't have even been in my head. Who knows? Maybe it would have been such a tough road. I don't know, but it is getting better. I think, which is very, exciting not only for me but for other people that feel trapped yeah yeah so you and ty i don't know if it was the same day but in the same period of time came out it was the same day wow totally coincidental was there any um soulful connection between you two because you had one another to sort of experience all that that is at the same time was there any uh simpatico between you two and and another question, country is a very, I, I mean, not all of it, but but country was born out of a sort of a macho frame of mind. So what's the lady's name that came out with the album? Shelly Wright. Shelly Wright. So Shelly mm-hmm. comes out, she's a gay female. Was mm-hmm. the per- what, what Was the perception different when a gay male came out because... A country is so unspokenly macho in its roots. What, what I'm trying to ask you in a roundabout way is, do you think it, it is harder for gay men in the country universe than it is for gay females in the country universe? And maybe it doesn't matter, but I just thought about that, that you might get more pushback than she might have. I don't know. 
I don't, I don't, I don't let those questions in. Um, I don't honor them. Meaning, I, me, meaning, if I were to say that to a record executive or say that to someone, it it automatically I have to be on the defense. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. to let in to be accepted like all the others. I don't even allow that in there. Mm-hmm. However, um, I, that is a great thought, and that's what brought me back to country because Ty is a is a one. For, to answer your first part, Ty and I were on the same record label. Funny enough, and we I've known Ty since my very beginnings. And um, he's a great human being, and um, he seems to be very happy and fruitful and prosperous, which that's all you want. And uh, I love the fact that he's created this fantastic love and acceptance show that Reba has now come on board on, and Tim and Faith and Hunter Hayes and fantastic country artists. Um, But with the title of Gay Country Artist, I'm sure there are people that there's a macho image, but there are there have been tons of artists that are not gay that are very tender. Kenny Rogers, Farron mm-hmm. Young, um, uh, Rascal Flatts. Uh, what's what's his name? The head singer of Lone Star. Very slick, very good looking, pretty singer. I think there's lanes for them all because there always have been. I know the label of, of an LGBT artist kind of hangs up on people in country music. I understand that. But there are so many LGBT, millions of LGBTQIA fans of country music. Mm-hmm. Millions. Mm-hmm. So I think it... I, I, I don't know how to completely answer that question. I was still pretty young when I came out. I don't know if that makes the macho 40-year-old a little more dull, if, dull down, if you will, because I wasn't a macho man. I never will be one, <laughs> gay or straight. I'm five seven. <laughs> you know, um, I don't. I don't know how to answer that question. But I no. Don't... It's just the trucks and beer and guns and all those uh, right. cliches that really don't represent country now, but sort of at its roots. Well, they represent the certain outlaw element of country, and they always will. And, and, that... always, and there's always been outlaws. There's yeah. always been the highwaymen and Waylon Jennings and yeah. Johnny Cash. But any of but them could have been. Any of them could have yeah. been gay. What do we know? I mean, there's a lot people kept to themselves for decades. But one, you know, one of the Absolutely. things. That, but one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, Billy, because. Fritz and I were talking about this before the show is that like maybe Nashville itself, the people that work there, maybe there there there's as many gay people as there are anywhere else, but they're the product that they create, they're selling to people who still aren't quite there yet. And so right. they don't even have like a, a, a gay scene in Nashville because it's a tourist town. So they don't want people coming from Nebraska and seeing, you know, a big gay scene. So they're selling they're selling something that they think is this thing, this wholesome thing. We know whatever the word wholesome means anymore, but they're selling this product. Right. But I think they're starting to get that, like, okay, people in Nebraska have gay kids too. Like, there's gay kids everywhere in every family. And so I, I feel like it's it's fear-based. A lot of our intolerance is something's going to change and I, it'll change forever and that's scary. But the more and more we reach out to one another, we find out, oh, you know, cousin Sam is gay. Like, you know, okay, cool. And certainly people under 40 don't care. And you're, and you're right in there and you, and it was really brave of you to come out when you did, because it was like, you were kind of saying, I'm not going to live any of my adult life as uh, inauthentically. 
not a minute of it. Like, right. The second you right. hit adulthood, you were like, hey, this, guys, this is who I am. And there's a video that I wanted uh, Thomas to play a little bit of, because maybe you, you've seen it, but it was a kid who grew up with your music, and he, this was the video that he made after you made your video. Hi, I'm Owen Middleton. I don't have favorite artists, but he's my favorite artist. He always has been. I just loved Billy Gilman and always waited for him to come back. And then today when I came home from my LGBT group, um, my mom told me something and at first I didn't believe her. But I looked it up and sure enough it was true. It was Billy Gilman had released a video online saying that he was gay. And he, it touched something in me. Um, and, uh, you know, because I, I still have all his albums. I don't keep albums, really. I don't, I don't have any CDs from any other artist, because I use iTunes now. I threw out all the CDs I had when I was a kid, and I just have these ones left, the six that, that he had. And um, not that Billy Gilman's ever going to see this, because let's be real, he's not. But I'm such a big fan of his, and not that it would mean much coming from me, but I'm proud of him. I'm proud that he's my favorite artist. Um... And I'm proud of him for being open and honest with the world. Yeah, that it gets a lump in your throat. <laughs> I'll tell you, um, that that was the main reason why I decided to. I was always I'm just gonna be me, and I'm whatever. I'll let the punches roll. And, but when I came out, I saw how my my father has a NASCAR flag flying in our you know our lawn I mean very conservative people and it was as if nothing happened not even a shock <laughs> they were mad that I held it for seven months from oh. them which I did I I was so nervous oh. I couldn't I held it for seven months I had a girlfriend in their heads and her, I had a fake name I mean it was the whole bit and finally I said you know this is so stupid I'm so old now it's not like I'm 15 and I'm you know which you shouldn't hide yourself anyway you feel comfortable enough to to do what's right for you and they were mad that I didn't tell them and when I felt that strength I said to myself I need to I don't want to come out in a big huge way because it looks like it's on purpose and I'm trying to sell a CD which is not the truth I just want to be mean but people always think that oh what are they trying to sell they're trying to get a headline I opted to do it on YouTube, and I said if it were to go viral, that's on its own. That's on that's on people's ears, listening and soaking it up, and that it it did happen, and which I was happy about. The reason I came out the way I did was because I needed fans that might be gay, people that don't know me that will just come across the video who are gay mm -hmm. and are fighting that may not have a family. I am your voice. If you come to me. I, we have to band together to change and make a better, more tolerant world or nothing at all. And there are so many youth, the youth of our generation that are being thrown out of their homes because they're just now finding their true north and their happiness. And it disturbs me beyond belief. Mm -hmm. And if anything, I needed to be a, even, a, even a detriment to my own career, if that were to happen, I wanted to be a voice for people to, to say, you know what? We've got someone now. We've mm -hmm. got someone in our in our corner. And I would that, bet you, because you're in a conservative industry, that mm -hmm. you have uh, saved lives 
by giving children who are in those, uh, for lack of a better term, you know, extreme red state situations where they have very conservative parents who will never accept them, you have been a real lifeline, particularly to the younger kids who don't have a fully formed identity yet. And I, right. I, I would say that you probably have many stories, and we won't ask them of you, but many stories of children where you have been the light at the end of the tunnel because of your mm-hmm. honesty about yourself. Yeah. I mean, I've had people come to autograph lines and just hysterically break down, oh. um, never thinking they'd be able to hug the person that helped them. Wow. And it's, it, I understand because it's what I, I'm a messenger before I'm a, before I'm an artist, before I'm a person, perform, whatever. I'm, I try to find messages and be a messenger to create pathids, pathways for communication. Because if I can talk about a subject or be a subject, that opens up someone else's thinking in a more positive way. I think that's how a, the world changes and that's how tolerance begins. And you totally hit it on the head. It's, it's, it's total fear and, and lack of understanding. You know, if it's not your bubble and your normal nine to five everyday thought, white picket fence, 99% in psychology, it's automatically in a negative tone. Mm. And it's just sitting down. I mean, there are cases, there, but in every situation, there are cases where it goes extreme in everything. But the majority, you know, of, of, of life, we just want acceptance. And, you know, like I said, I'll never forget telling my parents, I, I, I'm still going to be me. I mean, how pathetic is that? But mm. I hear that so often. That's the common thing. But I'm still me. A, that shouldn't matter. But B, it, it's just to be totally happy. And some people find it wrong. I, I, I will never understand. And that's why I, I, I can't. That's basically why I came out. Mm-hmm. And and to see messages like that, you know, it, it, it proves my point, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and I'm very honored that he, he said those kind words because that was my intent. It wasn't to sell anything but hope for other people. And when you when you watch the whole video, he's sitting there holding all your CDs that he grew up <laughs> oh, with. God. Oh, God. And he's so cute. Aww. And and so awesome. uh, it just I meant... hope he's doing well because that was a few years ago. That I was a few years ago. Well. I hope he's doing well. Well, we'd love to hear yeah. from you, Pocket Fairy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I love the choice. The voice. Oh. The uh, the fundraiser to raise money for shoes for oh, the kids choice. around the world. That song is I know awesome. it's, it's funny. The it, choice, the voice. Yeah. Anyway, yep. No, the choice. I, <laughs> but but it, this is an awful statistic for anybody that tries to figure out why certain people decide on certain nonprofits to be involved with. This is an awful statistic. Half of the children in the world don't get adequate shoes. That's mind-blowing. And you've got 18 of the biggest stars in country uh, to record the choice with you to raise money for souls for souls. I mean, you've got Reba, you've got all these wonderful people. Who's on there, and, and how is that going? Is it still vital? Um, I, I hear a lot of people still saying it's vital. Uh, you do a project and you let it go. It's a mission that's still near and dear to my heart. I've done a lot. I went to Haiti. I, I've gone and done pop-up concerts for years for Souls for Souls. We've done about a quarter of a million um, shoot, downloads. 
So we forfeited everything, everything, the publishing, the, the performance royalties, the writing royalties, the whatever, every piece of that record, that $1.99 or up, it's been a few, it's been a year, a few years. So it might be, they downgrade to 99 cents after they've, you know, done their thing. Um, I don't know what it is now, but whatever it is on whatever platform, that whole click goes to the pair of shoes. And coincidentally, that's how much it costs to provide someone a pair of shoes. That's how, how, you know, what, what, what is the coincidence of that? Yeah, that's, that's, um, if you watch the crazy? video and you're going to see the link in our show notes, if you, if, this is what Billy Gilman does for a living. He makes people cry. So if you, <laughs> if you watch this video, you will cry. Okay. And then if you watch the voice, you will cry. So always have tissues handy. So who's on there? You've got 18 of the biggest stars. It's like a who's who in country music. Yeah, yeah. Reba and who else? Kenny and, and so, Randy. So, yeah, who who was who passed on. Which yeah. I'm so honored that he, you know, it was one of the last group projects that Kenny Rogers ever did outside of his own 50th anniversary special. Um, what had happened was I was down south, listen, writing, and we just started to write this melody. Da, 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 da. And we just started writing this song, and I'm thinking, this is not, this is a definitely a choral song. You know, you write different things mm-hmm. or whatever. It was not a single song for me. It wasn't just, it just didn't sound like that. It sounded very, it was an anthem and it was a movement and mm. whatever. And I, we put it away. And about a week or two later, I said to myself, what if we tried to do out of the blue, call me nuts, what if we tried to do a country we are the world? And now, I didn't even have it in my head. I hadn't had a charted record in some time. This was way before The Voice. I'm, who is going to even remember who I am? Oh, and then just, who knows? But I just had this little idea. So I went to the songwriters the next day, and I said, I have this idea, and I have a plan. I said, if I can get Keith Urban on, <laughs> that's enough name where I think we could start a ball rolling. And they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I said, let's let's do this the choice, like, oh, we are the world and country, and bring it to an organization. They said, well, let's think of the people and get the song first, and then we'll think of an organization. So I emailed Keith, who has been such a fan of mine for so long, and he's such a brother and awesome guy. And I said, I got this crazy idea, but it's simple. You can go into your own home studio, and you record two lines for me. It'll take eight minutes. <laughs> and within within five hours, I had his piece. So then I started with other, um, I went to Reba, I went to her personally, but all the others we went through management. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I wanted maybe Keith, Reba, and Leanne Rhymes. Those were my three, if we can get three people, we can rotate them and interway, you know, inter- weave them through the song and chart, you know, t- whatever fun ways we can stack them and all, you know, that's just fine. At the end of this thing, Wynona's Judd, legendary, her team was calling our team. We've heard about this song. Oh. Why haven't Why haven't we been asked? Oh wow! So it it just became it just blew up. And funny story with that was, uh, we I said I think it would be really neat to have one of the founding members of We Are the World on this, and that was Kenny Rogers. Yeah. So we hit up his team, and they said, Yeah, we'd he'd love to do this for Billy and for. For, for whatever cause you got, we, we believe that you'll bring it to somewhere very worthwhile. 
and he's going to record it. They're making an, a makeshift studio in his tour bus. Oh I said, God. he's on the road and he's going to do this. Oh. He's focused on his shows and he's going to, you know, you know, have time. And they're like, yeah, he's going to do it today. I'm like, he's on the road today. They're like, yeah, he's in Uncasville, Connecticut. <laughs> bing, 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 bing. I went, well, I'm home in my home base, which is Rhode Island. You happen to tell me, is he in Foxwoods Resort Casino? And they went, as a matter of fact, he is. I said, can I go thank him? Because I'm eight minutes away from that casino. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) He records his part in the afternoon. They invite me to the show. I go backstage and we take a picture together. And I thank him face to face for recording his part that day. Oh, It was the the neatest thing. So I was very grateful. We have... uh, we have Leanne Rhymes, we have Reba, Alan Jackson, Kenny Rogers, Keith Urban, Kelly Pickler, Amy Grant, and her husband, Vince Gill. Yeah. Um, and you got Ronnie Randy Millsap. Travis, yeah. Ronnie Millsap, Lone Star. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just never in a million years would I, would I, would I think that ha- would have happened. And um, when I saw the statistic, I saw it on TV. It was, it, I think it was a late night, not an infomercial, but something along those lines. I remember it being late at night. And I saw the statistic about half a billion kids not having shoes and young adults. And I thought, what a simple thing. What a simple statement. It's nothing complex of this breakthrough drug that we need to cure some very mm-hmm. intricate disease. It's shoes. Shoes, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and they and connect so, us to the earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they connect us to the earth. And if you don't have them, you're, you're prone to so many uh, illnesses. You cannot, you are not allowed to get a job. You are not allowed to step foot in a school system without a pair of shoes. That is your future. Wow. You know, and and it was just, I I couldn't believe it. So it creates a path. Yeah. I I looked up the souls for souls and what do you know? They're in Nashville, Tennessee, their home base. Wow. So I, so I said, that's, that's it. So we met with John Graven uh, and they were just all about it. And we went to Haiti and shot the music video for it. And I got to see their headquarters down there and meet the kids um, and meet the kids. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was, a, it was a definitely a moment. It really it's was and it hit number two it's on the CMP chart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were it's... all excited about that. And so it, it, it did, it did what it had to do and we'll always do what it has to do. And if by chance, you know, with one voice or whatever project I have going on, if that, you know, your success drives other successes mm-hmm. because it becomes seen again and so i don't think it will it will ever be over right which is which is a wonderful thing yeah well we're gonna put it in the show notes and then share it with everybody so so billy we, we've created something for you and it's uh this is something that i you know dina my producer is like you didn't know about this okay so <laughs> you know people my age go online <laughs> like this is what people are doing on the internet mm. Uh, so I'm looking up one voice, you know, home free, blah, blah, blah. I'm finding, Billy, all these reaction videos of people watching your video and reacting to it. There's like... I've heard of these. There's rows of them. And this is just like you, you watching grown men cry. And sometimes they'll stop it and talk about it. So this is the new thing. Because it used to be that you couldn't use someone else's music on a YouTube. They'd flag it and pull it down or mute it or whatever. But I guess now... The record labels have learned that this is actually promotional. You know, you need to let people play this stuff and react to it and comment on it, I guess. So I got I got flagged for using my own music. Figure that out. Same. Yeah. No, I get it. Like once you put it up on TuneCore or wherever, me. it's like it gets the algorithms going like, no, we recognize this. And it's 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 not <sighs> you don't have the rights like, no, it's, it's my music. So. You know, try try tell right. that to an uh, algorithm. 
Right. You so know, true. They're like talk so to the true. talk to the I don't know what this would what the equivalent of a hand would be in zeros and ones. But anyway, right. um, so we made a little mashup of people reacting to you, and we thought maybe you could react to people reacting to you. Okay, because oh, we would like to create an infinity loop, and we want you to be a part of it. Wow. <laughs> I'm gonna be straight up with you right now. You're probably gonna cry. Oh, sweet full echo going on. Some kids have and some kids don't, and some of us are wondering why. Still sounds good. And mom won't watch the news at night. Too much stuff that's making her cry. What does this say actually? I am not good enough. Enough for this life. Humphrey dropping their usual dissonant chords, strong harmonies, foundation build, so sponsored by Tim Faust with the little subtle beats. still sounds so good he looks the same like he looks exactly the same just with a beard like It shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen in our society. And, and <sighs> it's so sad when people, oh man, when people get to that place where it's so dark and they're just done and they don't see any light. That's so sad. Oh no, this video is, oh man. Oh my gosh. Oh, hang on. I need a second to breathe. Ooh.
that's a serious note from from Tim right there. Oh my gosh. Okay, this happens to people. As much as my kids hate it, when I come and I kiss them on their forehead, or I make them give me a hug, or I tell them that I love them every single day as many times as I can, shit's important, man. It's important, and I I gotta have to bleep that. <laughs> Sorry. But I'm also like mesmerized at Austin's lead and then him and Billy, the harmonizing there, like that was just spot on perfect. One of the things I always appreciate about acapella is the, the attack that they have on the, uh, when they do arpeggios like that, the do do do, like they, they, they hit it in such a way that it creates almost a percussive hit. I like that, that sounds so good. Yesterday while walking home, I saw a kid on Newberry Road. He pulled a pistol from his bag and tossed it in the river Okay, I was, I was literally about to say, I was listening to the lyrics this time. I was paying attention, and he said he threw it into the river. At least, at least, hopefully that's what he's doing here now, right? Right? Hopefully. A thousand prayers, a million words. But one voice was It's so real. That's how people. Oh are, man! That's how people are responding. Billy. That was breathtaking. Breathtaking. The oh, har yeah. Billy. The harmonies in, in this song are beyond amazing. So pretty. It's a right. You know, I've seen this video seven thousand times. You do because the editing and you know. And the and the great thing about the home free is you know this was their ask they wanted to do it to do it, and uh, but they gave me full control. I said I think we should do this here and that here, and the kid mm -hmm. should do this. But the, the, like I wanted to pay homage to the old video in two thousand when the kid had it wrapped in a white cloth, mm -hmm. and he was dark haired and he had a backpack and he threw it in the river on Newberry Road, and they did all those nuances. And I think that's what makes it you know that those those chill bumps. And I'm so I'm so thrilled that people that probably wouldn't be touched to the core like that are because that's how change happens mm -hmm. no especially um, the first guy that obviously was savvy in music he sounded like a, mu a music producer himself yeah i think he is and so yeah. for him to be moved was even more spectacular yeah and people with kids and yeah it's just i know that they, the guy saying he even though his son gets sick of him kissing him on the forehead it's mm -hmm. it's very powerful and that's it's, it's a lot to take in, but it is what I do, and that's that's the that's the core of what 
gets me up every day. To be honest, if it was just to sing a song, what's that? But so what's what's interesting for an artist is to now see people reacting and, you know, immediately you dropped the video, I think within the last week, right, Billy? And, and all, and already you're seeing three days, three or four days. Yeah. Yeah. And these went up instantly. I know I want, I saw them drop over the weekend and I was like, this is interesting. We're seeing in real time how people are responding to something that you've probably been spending the last year working on. Yeah, it's, it's very gratifying, but for the right reasons. They're getting it. They're not saying, oh, my, it's not only about, well, look at the high note or how long he held the note. It's about going, okay, this this to me, what that guy just said, that's the win, mm-hmm. is when they bring it into themselves. Mm-hmm. They put themselves in the situation. That is when you know you're in there. Mm-hmm. When, when you start to feel your own uncomfortable uncomfortability mm-hmm. about something that's when you, it resonates it's resonating with you or in a positive way i i hug my child you know he brought it into himself mm-hmm. uh, that's that's the win for me and and that's why i chose to do one voice number one i needed to do it again i felt it coming i knew that the 20th anniversary of the song was coming up just so happened we're in a pandemic People need to hear it again. You know, could I have gone with another song that's on the pipeline? Sure. But the time is so needed. People are reached, are desperate for for unity. Mm-hmm. And that song is. And I had a couple of different ways of doing it, but they weren't sitting with me. And when this acapella thought came out, I thought that's it. it it'll be so different from the be- from the initial song. But the same, because it's the same song, it's the same melody, same message. But it's so different that it, you can't compare them. They're both they're they're different lives, and I was so honored and and grateful of, and just amazed at how well Home Free came to the plate and did such a fantastic job. And they are just such professionals and got it. You know, they they got it, and I think that's why it was pulled off so well. You know, everyone was in it for the right reason, and it's just so innately obvious when you watch it, you know, tell us a little about it. Tell us a little about home free home free. So funny enough, they were on the sing off. I was on the voice. They were on the sing off a few years before I was on the voice. Okay. And reached out to them. Funny enough, the lead singer who I'm singing it with, I was the first record he bought when he was a kid. So it's just so funny. And they're such great singers and have a huge following themselves and are just really, really great guys. And, I would throw out an idea for this and they go, oh, we love that. That trumps our idea. Go with that. Just just professionals and such a joy to work with. And I hope we do it again. Absolutely. Well, it's just absolutely stunning. And, Thank you. And so moving and so powerful and, and, and in so many different ways in terms of message and in terms of music. Absolutely. And we just Absolutely. we want to thank you so much for, for being with us, Billy. You're going to find everything you need to find about Billy and what he's up to on, on our show notes. So take a look uh, with any questions that you may have about where to find some of this content. It, was there anything else, Billy, that you wanted to share before we close? Well, I didn't expect to have a reaction video. But it's very deep. Like, I'm going to be like, I'm going to be exhausted after this. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, know, you know, just if there's anything I can say is, if you honest to God, I, I go to this one saying all the time, if you see something, say something. Mm-hmm. Meaning we're, we're in a climate where you cannot look to someone else to create the happiness or the unity or the inclusion. 
we are it. We are this, the, the, the needle and thread. Um, I never forgot when I was in New York City for 9-11 and, you know, um, that's a dog. I don't know if I could pick it up. Yeah, I did. <laughs> uh, I knew I knew it would happen at one time. Hi. But so I need I needed to get out of New York. We were we were slated to be. It, that's a whole other story. So I was slated. The Michael Jackson special happened. I could not say no to that amazing opportunity. But in the same clump of time, I was supposed to be in Los Angeles singing with the Philharmonic at the Hollywood Bowl, uh, celebrating movies. So we thought we can jump in a, in a car after my performance in new york city go to boston fly out that tuesday and make it to la well we had after parties and interviews we never ended up going to boston and that was the flight that hit the world trade center oh, Billy. because of my because of michael jackson that's just the, the easiest way so we got a car it took hours i mean the monstrosity and the chaos that was new york i will it was almost like it's horrible to say but you know how you like as a kid, you put water in an ant hole and they all just spread. They all just flee. Right. That's what that's what the city was like. And by happenstance, we found a car to get into to head home, meaning Rhode Island, to safety. And because no one knew what was going on, they had all the bridges locked. So like a three hour trip was a nine hour trip home. Mm -hmm. And but the one thing I noticed in immediate, it didn't take time like it's taking now. But immediately, people were opening their homes, feeding us, letting us use their bathrooms. Are you okay? Where nothing happened to us, but people went just like this. Mm -hmm. And we need to do that. And it's now that people have platforms and can be heard on such different levels, you're seeing a lot more of that hurt and that and that divided mentality because now there are outlets. And to each individual, we need to change a ourselves and help our neighbor. That's how this world is will turn around completely. I love that. We just that. need to be. We need to be there. But it it comes from us, right? Not and from someone else. And one of the messages that that I get from Maddie Stepanek is, you know, he built himself as a poet and a peacemaker. And I feel that each of us can be a peacemaker within our immediate community. You can be a peaceful Absolutely. person. You can you can inspire peace. You can say peaceful things. You can say things that are calming and nurturing to the, the people in your, in your in your circle. You know, we can each be a peacemaker. There's that moment where your temperature rises and you want to snap at someone, and you can you can pull it back and say, "How else could I frame this that would be more peaceful and get my message across?" I think we can all do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's that's it. That like you know you you pull up the bootstraps and you get to work. I mean that's that's like to me where we are in, in our day and age. And I know it's hard and it's difficult, but everything is so big, but in the nucleus of it, it's very simple and small. Mm -hmm. I like it, that. It really is. I love that. So well said. All right. Thank you so much, Billy. Here come our closing Thank credits. You Thank you. We would love for you to join us online on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at Media Path Pod, and on Facebook, where we are Media Path Podcast. You can find full episodes with all kinds of bonus visual content on our YouTube channel, Media Path Podcast. We would love to know what media you've been enjoying. You can contact us at our social media or email us at Media Path 
podcast at gmail.com. I want to thank our guest, Billy Gilman. Our team includes Dina Friedman, Francesco Demanda, John Maddox, Sharon Bellio, Bill Filippiak, Thomas Hubble, and you. Our theme music is by me and John Maddox. I am Louise Palanker here with Fritz Coleman, and we will see you along the media path. And Fritz has more to say. And if you enjoyed this episode of Media Path, it would help us to be more discoverable by potential new listeners if you leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're new here and this is your first time with us, please check out our back catalog. You may find binge-worthy stuff like with Diane Warren or Tony Dow or Bill Moomy and other great stars, Gary Puckett, The Cow Sills, Henry Winkler, Keith Morrison, something for every taste, every demographic, every corner of the world. We have it all there. Thank you for spending an hour with us, and we would be overjoyed if you took a moment to share your thoughts with us or recommend us to a friend. Be safe. Boy, that was so great. That was I hope so. Thank you guys so much for having me. I-